series on the book of Ruth. 3,020 years, give or take a decade, I guess. A book was written called the book of Ruth. And it is a book that was written at about the time of the judges. And if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that before there were kings, there were judges. The judges followed Moses and Joshua. And uh, it was during this time, uh, Israel knew a considerable amount of darkness in the land and spiritual and moral darkness. In fact, the book of Judges is characterized by the phrase, and they did what seemed right in their own eyes. And so this is the, this is the world that we're in. We're in a world where there's lawlessness, darkness, people uh, are not walking with God as they should. There's a sense that uh, maybe, maybe God has forgotten about Israel. And this book of Ruth is written. Now, a young family leaves Bethlehem in, in Israel and goes to the land of Moab. The reason they go is because back in Israel, there's famine in the land and there's, there's just there's no work, there's, there's no food. And so Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malon and Kilian, and they go to the land of the Moabites and things seem to be going well. The sons find wives there in Moab, and the, the, the boys marry, and all seems well. They don't have any kids yet, but, but things look like they're going well. And then suddenly, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And to make matters worse, Melon and Killian quickly follow. And there's Naomi left absolutely devastated. She's lost her two sons. She's lost her husbands. All that she has left are her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. She is so brokenhearted, so devastated. She looks around, and now suddenly where she is, she does not want to be. It was during this time of crisis she suddenly remembers her God and remembers her land, the land of Israel, and the God of her people. And she says to her daughters-in-law, look, I'm, I'm heading back. I'm heading back to my homeland. I'm heading back to the land of my God, and uh, I, just, I can't be here anymore. There's nothing left for me here. I came full. I'm going home empty. And so the daughters-in-law say, well, we'll come too. As they're traveling back to Bethlehem, it occurs to Naomi that it doesn't make sense for her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to come with her. Naomi says, well, I'm not going to be having any more kids, and even if I did have more sons for you to marry, uh, you'd be too old and they'd be too young. It's just not going to work out. So there's no point in you joining me. There's no point in you following along. And so Orpah says... Yeah, you know, it's probably, probably right. I'm, I'm going to go back home to my land, back to my people, back to my family. But Ruth says, nothing that you can say, Naomi, is going to d- discourage me or dissuade me from joining you and going with you. I'm going to go wherever you go, do whatever you do. In fact, on the poster you'll see, for where you go, I'll go. Now, I would like to address that today, but I'm not going to. That's going to be addressed next week. What I want to talk about today 
is what happens in the midst of your difficulty and your struggle? What happens in the midst of your tragedy, your tragedy, your devastation? Is God still there? Does God still love you? Does God still care about you? Ruth gets back to Bethlehem with, uh, uh, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when she arrives, the whole town just uh, greets her. They're so excited. Is, is, that, is that you, Naomi? Hey, everybody, it's Naomi. She's here. And there's a big celebration. Everybody's rejoicing. It's like, Naomi, you got to come over to my place and hear all the gossip. I'll get you caught up in what's going on around here. And, and you know, it's the, the, the ladies are ready just to have a tea party and get together and talk and visit and get caught up. But Naomi says, and reading from Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went from full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? When the Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has, been, has sent such tragedy upon me. Now, here's the thing, folks. You, you read that, you listen to that, and you think to yourself, man, this really is hopeless. This really is a terrible situation. Why bother? Why bother with God? Why bother listening to him? Why bother following him? When you leave here today, my, heart, my heart's desire is that you will go from, away from here with a brand new perspective, a brand new understanding of who God is and of how much he loves you. Here's what you need to know when you go from here today. God loves you and he has an awesome plan for your life. I know that many of you here today are, have faced very difficult times. You've experienced terrible tragedy. Even now, as I talk, you're thinking of the things that have happened in your life in the past year, in the past month, the past week, the past five years. And you've been tempted to think that God has rejected you, that God hates you, and that God doesn't really care about you. So today... I want to declare to you that God really does love you. And in fact, he has a wonderful and awesome plan for your life. He hasn't forgotten about you. And I know this not just because it's my opinion and because it's what I've sort of, sort of pieced the pieces together, got the pieces and put it together, and I've come up with this, this this theory from Scripture, I'm going to tell you now what God, himself, what God himself has to say to you. We find it in Jeremiah 29, 11, and this is what God has got to say to you today. God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I know some of you have come here today feeling kind of hopeless about life and about circumstances, and you've maybe felt that God has rejected you, he doesn't love you anymore. I know that there's not a person here today who could say, I've never been touched by disaster or tragedy or difficulty or struggle. I know everybody here has gone through something that has left them feeling 
despair, hopelessness, and maybe even rejected of God. Naomi felt like that. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. But that's my life now. It's a mess. It's a disaster. Tragedy. I mean, what else could go wrong except that the Lord Almighty take me to? He's taking my husband. He's taking my sons. It's terrible. She came back to Bethlehem broken and bitter. Now, what do you think was going through her head? I could guess, and you could guess. She's probably thinking things like this. She's thinking, um, does God hate me? God must hate me. Has God rejected me? I mean, he must. Look at my life. Look at the way it is right now. Was I a bad wife? Was I a bad mother? What did I do wrong? Was it a mistake to leave Israel in the first place? Have I, have I got myself into this trouble by leaving Israel and going to the land of Moab? Am I in trouble because I left my God and my people and my land and went to the land of Moab, that pagan land, that land that does not know God? Is this why I'm suffering? Is this why God has allowed this to happen? And here's what I know about all of us today. I know that it's in those moments when things are really tough, when it seems hopeless, it's then that Satan, who is called the accuser of the brethren, that's his name, he is the accuser of the brethren, it's then when you are at your weakest and the most vulnerable, when you are, are having doubts about yourself and having doubts about God, it's then that Satan comes in and he attacks. And he, it's, his attacks are vicious. Vicious attacks. It's not when you're doing good and everything's great. He doesn't bother you so much then. It's when you're feeling vulnerable and weak and you're feeling like a loser and you're feeling hopeless and you feel like God has rejected you and you feel like you'll never, ever be an overcomer. You'll never be victorious. Things will never get better for you. And Satan comes along and says, yeah, you're, you're right. You're, you are a loser. Nothing good's going to come out of your life. And look at, look at your past. Look at the things you've done. Look at the horrible things that you've done in your past. You've made such huge errors. You've dropped the ball in so many ways at so many times. Yeah, God has rejected you. So just give up. Don't bother anymore. I'll tell you, Satan is a master at increasing our hopelessness. And he comes to us at our very dark, darkest moments. And he says, God doesn't love you anymore. And there's no point in even trying. So give up. Don't bother. God doesn't answer prayers. Now I want you to know something. The whole story of Israel, if you ever read your Old Testament, and I encourage you to do that if you've never done it, you will see that Israel hits highs and hits lows and hits highs and hits lows. I remember as a child reading that and thinking to myself, man, these children of Israel were really pretty stupid. I remember thinking that. I mean, they've seen all these marvelous miracles and great things that God has done in their lives and the way that God has helped them. How is it that they could ever go back down into the depths again? Why don't they stay in the mountaintops when they, when they recognize God's faithfulness and the way that God has helped them? And then one day, this is as, I, as I'm growing up and getting older myself, I one day realized, hey, it's not just Israel that has its ups and its downs. It's me too. And I know that about everybody here today. 
Every one of us. We have our high times when we're soaring on the heights and God is good and God is marvelous and God's doing miracles and God's speaking to me. And those times when we're just, we, we are just scraping bottom. And we just think, man, <laughs> am I even a Christian? Things are bad. You know, we pastors in North America, and I say North America because it's, it's, it's a problem here, is that we've given people the idea, the notion, that once you become a Christian, you'll never have a problem again. All your, all your problems will be magically fixed. You're going to suddenly have a perfect marriage and, and perfect children and a perfect job, and your boss will somehow be touched by the Spirit of God and will treat you nice now, Right? We think that somehow that when we become a Christian, everything's going to go perfect for us. Has anybody found that? (laughs) No. Doesn't go quite the way we expect. In fact, for some of us, it was when we became Christians that life got really hard, became really difficult. Here's what you and I need to understand about this life. This life is... What the old Protestants, the old Puritans called a veil of tears, V-A-L-E, a veil of tears. Life's hard. It's difficult. You see, Pastor Alan, this doesn't sound very victorious. Where's, this, where's the victorious Christianity that everybody always talks about? I'm going to tell you something right now. We wouldn't need to talk about victorious Christianity if there wasn't something to be victorious over. Life is difficult. And I'm going to tell you today that you can be more than a conqueror through Christ. You can be victorious through Christ. But the fact of the matter is, life on this planet is a veil of tears. It's difficulty. It's a struggle. When I was back in the, I guess, late 90s, I was taking my family out to Banff for a little vacation. It was right while we were finishing up the building program, this building. I can't even, I can't even believe I went on vacation but I, I knew I had to. I needed to get away with my wife and my kids. And I was absolutely exhausted because I was pastoring this church. I was, I started a, we started another church, a Filipino church. I was pastoring that and uh, uh, was in the process of calling in a, a pastor from the Philippines. And I was doing this building program and helping the Filipino church do their building program. So I was doing all of this, plus as a father of three kids, and I'm telling you, I was feeling mighty, mighty exhausted. In fact, even discouraged. And I went to Banff thinking I'm going to have a bit of a break. How many know that camping is not a holiday? <laughs> you know it's not. I mean, your kids think it is. They think it's wonderful. Because kids could sleep on, on stones and they don't even know it. Once they want to go to sleep, they go to sleep. You sort of hit a certain age, man, and now suddenly you need to have a proper bed to sleep in if you're going to get any sleep. And no matter how much bedding my wife brought along on our camping trips, it was never quite enough because I could always feel that stone that was just under the shoulder blade. And, and so there I am at 3 o'clock in the morning digging under the under the air mattress trying to get that stone out of there and it's under the tent and I'm outside there in my pajamas it's three degrees thinking a bear's going to come up behind me and I'm digging under the tent trying to get that stone out from under the and it's miserable and I'm exhausted and I'm under my breath saying God what on earth are we doing here 
It would be easier just to be back at church working 16 hours a day. And it's, now our time is done. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love being with my kids. It was wonderful. But I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And I'm feeling a little bit like on the edge. Anybody know what being on the edge is? Anybody? Just nod at me or wink if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if I can make it. And so driving home, I said to Gloria, look, I can't drive from Banff all the way to Winnipeg. Not this time. Because that's the way we used to do it. Drive from Winnipeg all the way to Banff. We'd leave at night, and then by the time we got there in the morning, the kids had slept all night. They were doing good, and uh, I couldn't do it. I was exhausted. I was feeling emotional. Um, We stayed at a hotel in Swift Current, and in the morning I turned on the TV and listened to a, a TV program. I can't even remember the name of the TV program. But a choir came on and started to sing an old hymn. Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide in every change he faithful will remain. Be still my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. I'm listening to this, sort of standing in the doorway of the bathroom, just ready to have a shave, and I got tears streaming down my cheeks. As I'm reminded that God is actually on my side, that God has not forgotten about me, that he does love me, and that in the midst of the busyness of life, he's not abandoned me. And some of us here today are feeling like we've been abandoned, that God doesn't hear our prayers anymore. We pray, we pray, we pray for our husband, we pray for our wife, pray for our kids, and it feels like those prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, they're not getting anywhere. And we've struggled at work, and we've struggled in our home, and we've struggled with our kids, and we wonder, does God even love me or care about me? Does God even know how busy I am? Does God even know what I'm doing for him? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Later on in the story of Israel, God reveals his heart to the prophet Jeremiah. And he says to the children of Israel, who now have been banished from their homeland because of their own sin, They've been sent into exile, and they're crying out to God now, recognizing how good they had it when they were back in their homeland and how bad it is now that they've been exiled. And they think God hates them and has rejected them, but Jeremiah has another message for them from God. God doesn't hate you. He hasn't rejected you. You may be experiencing the consequences of your sin, but that doesn't mean that God hates you or that he's rejected you. No. He says, I've got good plans for you. Not for disaster, but for a future and a hope. So this is what you need to know. You need to know that God loves you. He really loves you. And you say, but Pastor Allen, he surely couldn't love me because Pastor Allen, you don't really know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my secrets. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't need to know what your secrets are. I don't need to know what your past is. But I do know that if you have at some point in your life put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he loves you. 
and he has not rejected you. And he's going to do everything in his power to draw you back to himself. Some of you right now are experiencing that very thing. God is drawing you back to himself. He's trying to pull you back. And sometimes, folks, I'm going to just tell you straight up, sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes it's hurt. It hurts. Sometimes it's just downright difficult. Spurgeon called God the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't know anything about a hound, a hound has got a nose like no other creature. He'll sniff you out. He'll find you. And God right now is doing that in your life. He's not going to let you go, and he's going to keep coming after you till finally you give in and say, okay, God, I'm getting the message. The other thing you need to know is, is that if the Lord wants to teach you a lesson, he's not going to start killing off your family members. He's not going to be killing your sons or your husband or your wife. I mean, you may wish he would, <laughs> but that's not how he works. Just to dispel that fear. And then the next thing I want you to know is that as long as we're on this planet, we will always be vulnerable. It's always going to be difficult. Again, pastors do people a huge disservice by suggesting that somehow once you become a Christian, that somehow you are not going to be subject to the suffering and the pain of this world. And that's utter nonsense. As far as I know, there's only been two people in all of history who have not had to face death, and that was Enoch and Elijah. The rest of us have to face death. That's life on this earth. Folks, this is not heaven yet. And as long as we're living here, we're going to be facing some tears, some suffering, some struggles, and some pain. It's not heaven. And the Bible tells us clearly that the prince of this world, his name is Satan, is still ruling but it's only for a short time because the day is coming, hallelujah, when Jesus Christ will return. And he will set up his rule, not just in the hearts of men and women, but he will set up his rule on this earth. But in the meantime, people are still going to die. People still are going to get colds, get the flu, are still going to get discouraged, are still going to feel sick and sad, are still going to suffer from mental problems, are still going to suffer from physical problems and social problems and the rest of it, because that's earth. But in the midst of all this, God comes along with this marvelous message, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disasters to give you a future and a hope. That whatever you're facing, whatever the difficulty, whatever the struggle, somehow, some way, God's going to break through all of that and bring hope to your heart. That's what you need to know. Now I want to tell you what you need to do. Look what it says here in the next verses in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 12 and 13. It says, in those days when you pray, God says, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So you need to know that God loves you. He's not forgotten about you. He's got a great plan for your life, and it's going to be good because you're in God's hands. That's what you got to know, but here's what you got to do. you got to do what God tells us to do. you got to pray. 
For some of you, it's been a very, very long time since you prayed. And by the way, when I say pray, I don't mean saying, thank you, Jesus, for this, the blessed nourishment of everybody, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not saying, that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I remember my grandfather, whenever he would pray, he had a prayer that he prayed for all the years of my life, and I think he must have prayed it for 60 years. And I haven't heard him pray it for a long time, but it's, it's stuck in my head. I never pray it, but it's what he used to pray. We thank the Heavenly Father for this food which provides for us, feed our souls, the bread of life. This we ask in the name, amen. <laughs> Some of us have that approach to prayer. It's just mechanical. It's formulaic. No, we're talking, when I talk about prayer, I'm talking about your heart connecting to the heart of God. And some people have this notion that prayer is all about using thee and thou and thou for, therefore, and thou art. And Listen, I'm a father. I got three kids. Sometimes Sarah says, Dad, can, can we go out driving? She didn't say, I beseech thee, Father. <laughs> Wouldest thou please lendeth me your time and makest it possible for thee and, and me to go for a ride. In, uh, talk to God like he's your father. Tell your heavenly father what's on your mind. Tell him what's bothering you. Tell him what's hurting you. Tell him why you're struggling. Pour out your God, your heart to God. As a child, pour out his heart to a father. A little boy was asked to pray by his mother. And the mother's father was a, was a the child's grandpa, was a, was a minister. And she thought for sure that she was going to impress her dad by, by the prayer that her child would pray. And so the little girl began to pray. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. And all the way to Z. And the mother's embarrassed now. She's mad at the child and saying, you know, you can pray better than that. I taught you how to pray better than that. And the grandfather wisely said, don't worry. God knows how to arrange those letters and get a message out of them. That's so powerful. Listen to me. Listen. For those of us who think that praying is some sort of a religious ritual that you got to go through, it's not. It's about a relationship with God where you pour out your heart to him. I find myself talking to God all the time. In fact, I'm sure people think I'm nuts because they see me muttering away to myself. I'm praying. I'm, I'm talking to God. Some people think I'm talking to myself. Well, maybe once in a while I am. But most of the time, most of the time, I'm talking to God. I'm pouring out my heart to him. I'm telling God what's, what's in my mind, what's in my spirit, what's troubling me, what I'm concerned about, what I'm maybe afraid of. And there's times when I feel so weak and so inadequate, and I say, God, help me. I'm so, I'm so weak. I'm so inadequate. God says, pray, and I will listen. This is a promise. Pray, and I'll listen. And then he goes on to say this. You need to look wholeheartedly to me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. See, this is the problem with us in North America is that life is so easy in this country that we really don't need God. And so when it comes to Christianity, we're really quite half-hearted about it. I just read something extremely interesting. And this is really amazing. How many understand that and know right now that Christians are being slaughtered 
by the hundreds and maybe the thousands in northern Iraq. Does anybody know that? The ISIS, the militant Islamist ISIS group is going and slaughtering Christians systematically. Now, you would think that if there were people who were kind of shaky in their faith, that this would be the time for them to renounce Jesus Christ. And here's, here's what some of the Western missionaries who decided to stick it out and risk being put to death with these Iraqi Christians, here's what they're reporting back to us. They're saying that actually people are coming to Christ more than they've ever seen before. It doesn't make any sense. Until you understand, until you understand The Christianity is about a vibrant and a real walk with God. And it's in the midst of this persecution that suddenly these people in northern Iraq are making a decision about whether they want God or not. And now, in the face of possible death, they're turning to God wholeheartedly, nothing reserved. What does it mean to turn to God? It means that you're going to turn to God for guidance, for instruction, for his word, for wisdom. It means you're going to dig into the word of God and find out what, what is God saying. Because I know this. Some of you came to church today, and you didn't even know that God was on your side. You thought God rejected you. You thought God hated you. God thought, you thought God was finished with you. But here God's telling you quite the opposite. He's saying he loves you. He's got a future for you. And he's telling you what you need to do. You need to pray and you need to take seriously this relationship with him. For this reason, what we've done for this series is we've put together a little packet of scripture memory cards that everybody's going to get today. On your way out, you're going to get your little package of verses. And in, these, in this little package are scripture verses that are meant to get you focused on God, meant to get you Get your perspective sorted out. These verses, if you start memorizing them and committing them to your heart and your mind, it's going to revolutionize your understanding of who God is. We're looking for a wholehearted commitment to God. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to start memorizing God's promises. Memorize that word that's going to transform the way you see God and understand him. Now, Naomi makes makes this decision. I'm going back to the promised land. Because that's what Israel's called, right? It's called the promised land. I'm going back to the promised land. I'm going back to my people, and I'm going back to the God of my people. But Naomi doesn't realize, this is really exciting, what Naomi doesn't realize is that because she's turned back to God, God is setting in motion something very special for her life. In fact, she will be connected to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we will see a thousand years later. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna give, I'm leaving you with a cliffhanger. If you really want to really know how this ends, then I suggest that you get your Bible out and read the book of Ruth. But her life surrendered to God wholeheartedly, now becomes a life that God can use for his purposes. And I'm going to say that to everybody here right now. God wants to do a special work in your life. He wants to use you in a way that you cannot even imagine. 
The series, this series on Ruth is all about hope. It's about redemption. It's about courage. Chris, I would like you to come to the piano, and uh, we're going to close with him playing the, the music to this hymn, Be Still My Soul. I want to read these words to you. I don't, I don't often read poetry or read words of hymns. In fact, it's very rare. But these words are so powerful. And I just want you just to listen carefully, and then we're going to close. But listen to these words. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide in every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul. Your God does undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, when dear friends depart and all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then will you know better his love and his heart who comes to soothe your sorrows and your fears. Be still, my soul. Your Jesus can repay. From his own fullness, all he takes away. Be still, my soul. The hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone. Sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Be still, my soul. Begin the song of praise. On earth, believing to your Lord on high, acknowledging him in all your words and ways, so shall he view, your, view you with a well-pleased eye. Be still, my soul, the sun of life divine. Through passing clouds shall but more brightly shine. I want you to know today, God loves you. God loves you. There's no buts here. There's no conditions. He loves you. You should put Pastor Allen, but... You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. doesn't matter. God loves you. And he's got a great future for you and a great hope for you. It's time for you now to do what the Lord says. Start talking to God again. Start pouring out your heart to him. Start telling him what's bothering you, what's disturbing you, what's troubling you. Start telling him. And then start memorizing those scripture verses and let the Spirit of God encourage your soul. Let's stand together, shall we?